Hi guys, here we are today with Luke Wingfield-Digby, um, co-founder and CCO at Orbital. Uh, Luke, good to have you with us. Thanks very much, Lawrence. So, I mean, I, I want to jump into this because Orbital is obviously, as you and I have discussed previously, it's completely different from anything that we've come across in the industry. Um, what is Orbital for people that are watching? You know, what is your mission? What is it that you guys are doing? Yeah, for sure. Thanks very much for the intro. Um, yeah, I mean, we're, we're certainly different in that, you know, I think for the time being, we're we're pretty much the, the only player in, in our segment, in our space. Um, but essentially, uh, you know, Orbital is a, um, uh, a neo banking platform that's specifically uh, building solutions aimed at uh, kind of uh, mid to large uh, multinational corporates. Uh, so we don't do any SME or retails, uh, very specific cor corporate focus. And um, you know we're we're basically building products and solutions where uh, you know traditional financial services and banking rails and uh, cryptocurrencies and digital assets collide. So we're, we're building a solution which essentially bridges the gap between both worlds uh, and just makes it very easy for for you know any global business to uh, interact with both you know traditional fiat currencies as well as. Uh, uh you know uh cryptocurrencies and where's the idea for this really come from yeah for sure yeah good question um you know when when we set out um you know myself and um my my three fellow co-founders when we started this business back in 2017 you know we saw a gap um in that we felt like um we felt like uh fintech or you know uh fintech has already kind of disrupted SME and, and, and retail banking in the way that uh, kind of TransferWise and Revolut have, have really done. Uh, and we felt like the corporate end of the market was, was still under disrupted or undisrupted altogether. And, you know, we, we set out to build a, a, uh, a FinTech business aimed squarely at that segment. Now, kind of like fast forward, um, you know, a couple of years into that journey, uh, you know, myself uh, and uh, one of the co-founders, Paulius, you know, we've always had a strong passion and interest in kind of uh, cryptocurrencies and digital assets. Um, and, you know, we found kind of more and more ways to uh, kind of thread uh, digital assets into the business. Uh, so we've, we've kind of used them in innovative ways to provide kind of uh, you know, innovative solutions, particularly around kind of cross-border payments and things like that. We can talk about in a moment if you like. But I, I guess, you know, it was really fast forward up until um, probably the early part of last year, uh, where we very squarely kind of uh, pivoted the business to say, you know what, it's not just fiat financial services that we want to disrupt for corporates. Uh, you know, we see a vision in the future where cryptocurrencies will be ubiquitous for uh, for everyone in the same way that a kind of smartphone is ubiquitous nowadays, uh, you know, everyone has one. And, you know, when, when that happens, when crypto penetration is, you know, kind of nearing 90 to 100 uh, percent, you know, businesses will be forced to to adopt and handle cryptocurrencies to remain relevant. And, you know, if we're building a, a kind of multi-currency banking solution uh, for corporates, uh, you know, we just felt very firmly that it had to uh, it had to. Uh, be equally as good at, at crypto as it was for fiat. So, you know, that, that's, that's who we are and why we exist in the market. As a company, would you actually accept payments in crypto? 
Yeah, sure, we would. Um, although, you know, right now, none of our services, you know, so we don't really invoice for any of our services. Uh, so, uh, you know, all of everything we charge is, um, is uh, kind of a percentage of flow based. So, you know, if you open an account with us, we don't charge you minimum fees. Um, you know, we, we just charge you a percentage of whatever transactions you process with us. But absolutely, we would, uh, you know, in the future, as we start to offer kind of other products and services that kind of complement that, uh, we would absolutely uh, charge those service fees and cryptocurrencies. Yeah, see, it's, it's something actually with ourselves at Rayon, we've actually just recently said that if companies pay us in Bitcoin, um, we actually are offering them a discount on the product. And in fact, with the, well, we were going to build our own um, crypto for the platform. Well, we did. Um, and we've kind of taken the view that actually, you know, we might just inevitably end up using Dogecoin. Um, you know, as, as it, it might just be the, the currency for our, plat, uh, for our platform. Um, we're already seeing other companies um, that, that, that are using it in the United States. Um, but that does one thing you hit on, actually. You, you mentioned about cross-border payments, which makes it much more difficult. Um, how are you guys adapting? Where, where's the future going with regards to cross-border payments? Because obviously we are seeing this huge move towards regulation now. Um, it's obviously been being driven by the big like market counterparties as well as the governments. Um, but where, where is it going and how does it how does it affect your business? Yeah, I think, you know, you need to, I guess, to to answer that question, you want to think about, you know, what do people want from cross border payments? You know, what, what how does it look today? You know, depending on what the corridor is, you know, uh, a cross border payment can take as long as a couple of weeks, particularly if you're dealing with like uh, very emerging markets. But, you know, let's just say standard cross-border payment might be kind of three to five days, um, uh, you know, between continents, for example. You know, I think ultimately what everyone wants is just, uh, you know, nearer and nearer to kind of real-time payments. And uh, I think the expectation is, is becoming that even of, of cross-border payments. So we're seeing kind of uh, corporates who want, uh, you know, where possible, uh, they want T0 settlements. Um, and, you know, we're able to offer that down certain corridors, you know, so from certain emerging markets, uh, you know, back to Europe, for example, we can facilitate payments uh, same day. Uh, and we use uh, stable coins to, uh, to do that. And, and I mean, with regards to with regards to that, I mean, where do you see, I do want to come on to your background. But I mean, with stablecoins, where do you see their place in the market? I mean, we, you know, I, I think stablecoins are going to be very, very important moving forwards. Um, you know, I, I think they're one of the main pillars of, of uh, you know, of what's propelling the, the crypto and, and digital asset industry forward. Um, you know, you see uh, trading pairs, particularly on kind of AMMs and, and DEXs, you know, they're almost all kind of tied to uh, to stable coins these days. Uh, so, you know, it's the, the main trading currency of choice. Um, and, you know, I, I think uh, I think just the, the the you know, what you can do with them from the kind of universal transferability, uh, it, it's, you know, I think that's the biggest game changer for kind of cross-border payments and uh, um, and uh, banking in general, essentially, or, or, or really more specifically kind of like, what people had expected cryptocurrency to do to kind of disrupt uh, financial services, 
we see that disruption coming mainly from stable coins. Interesting. I have to say that, I mean, you know, when we think two, three years ago, we had um, a lot of skeptics, particularly in like uh, in the big banks, you know, who were saying that they were never going to be adopting uh, the likes of Bitcoin. And now they're they're actually using uh, them to actually uh, place options, trades, create ETFs, create other financial products. It'll be interesting to see how they actually further um, adopt uh, stable coins because I think once once we're at that stage, then it's really it, it's game on, and we are actually going to see, like you say, people are going to have a choice between multiple different currencies, um, and you're going to see a much greater move away from fiat currencies um, to, to to crypto. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, we 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 certainly see that happening. You know, so one of our products is a. Um, a, a merchant payment processing solution. And, you know, whilst we support kind of all the major cryptocurrencies, you know, 95% of our, 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 our volume goes through stable coins. So we're, we're already seeing kind of merchants who are willing to accept payments in stable coin and, uh, you know, uh, kind of the, 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 the growth kind of from their consumers, uh, you know, willing to pay in cryptocurrency is, is uh, you know, far outpacing those who, who have not chosen to kind of uh, support those. So, yeah, we, we see it as being a very disruptive technology. My local Starbucks, they don't even take cash anymore, right? So yeah, yeah. we're moving exactly. towards this digital world. Um, and com- coming on to your background yourself, I mean, how, how, I mean, how, how have you started Orbital? What, what were you doing before? Yeah, sure. So my my background is, uh, you know, I guess I would describe myself as a tech technology entrepreneur by uh, by career. So you know, I've I've uh, I've never really worked a corporate day in my life. Um, you know, I've uh, pretty Lucky much you. You know, since high school, I've uh, I've been starting various different businesses. Uh, I've uh, built one business uh, which has subsequently been acquired. Uh, so that was a software as a service. Uh, Kind of uh, marketing platform, um, but yeah, I've I've been in, involved in many many different businesses which have uh, essentially leveraged the internet to find kind of innovative ways to kind of produce value or make money at the end of the day, and uh, you know that's what I've been doing for over twenty years. Um, do you see any? I mean, do you feel that you missed out at all by not having a corporate background, or do you feel that actually? Um... It sped up your entrepreneurial flair and you know spirit to just go out there and do it yourself. Yeah, it's uh, you know it's a good question and it's something I I, I myself debate. Um, you know, I think on the balance of it, the the answer is no. Uh, but you know, I think you know part of what you know where success comes from is diversity of experience. So you know, I, I'm definitely lacking diversity of experience because I haven't had that experience. So I, I don't know what it's like to work in a corporate you know, directly, you know, obviously I have some pretty good ideas, but, um, you know, so I don't know, you know, a lot of the, what the pain points are there and, and, you know, that's potentially something I'm missing, you know, so if you don't know how bad something can be, you know, you don't know potentially how to solve it or you don't know when it's good. So whilst kind of not, not doing that and not going down that path, uh, you know, gave me a lot of time to be, you know, an entrepreneur and, you know, maybe I have a head start in, in, in that regard, you know, it's it's an opportunity cost in another way. But, you know, on the balance of it, I think it's a net positive. I would say so. I mean, I was going to say, I mean, with regards to, you know, a, a lot of the people on Rayon, they are young founders. And one thing they're trying to do before they actually jump into building their first tech startup 
um, they are actually going to work for a corporate. And to be fair, I mean, from, from my own experience, it was probably one of the best things that I ever did because I actually learned how to scale a business, how to ramp sales, what are the, what's the key metrics that you actually really need to focus on if you are going to grow a business rapidly. Um, I mean, that said, I mean, with regards to Orbis, I mean, how do you guys, guys go about acquiring the, those new clients? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, we've taken a very um, sector specific approach. So we we understand a sector kind of in and out. And then, you know, we understand kind of the 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 all the major players and customers in that market. And then, you know, we we basically go after them one by one, uh, you know, via a direct approach. So, you know, that's how we've built Orbital to date. Um, I think we will continue to do to follow that kind of methodology, that, that sector-specific approach, uh, you know, even as in the future as, as, as we grow the business. Um, but, you know, I, I think we'd definitely like to um, maybe be a little bit more aggressive about distribution. So that's, that's something that we're working on right now. Were there any challenges when you guys first started when it came to, because again, it's such a new concept, what you're doing. You're obviously, you were, you were you know, early to the party. Um, how, how did prospective clients take to it? I mean, that's a good question. I think, um, you know, I think, I guess my advice would be to maybe, you know, and, th and this is general, just in business, you know, focus on something that you know well. Um, so, you know, if, if you're, if you already have prior experience or knowledge uh, in a specific sector, then, you know, that's probably, you, you know, that's probably where you should start because, you know, you're, you're likely, you'll likely have something that the next guy doesn't have. Um, and that, that gives you an edge at the end of the day. Um, so I, I think, you know, probably some of the challenges were, uh, you know, maybe establishing ourselves as a credible player and, and uh, kind of recognized um, uh, authority in the sectors that we've, we've approached um, to date. And, um, and that takes time and, uh, you know, time and grit, I suppose, and, and a lot of networking, so. A lot of networking, I imagine. Yeah, yeah I mean, just like, for us, I think that with, with, you know, for anyone that is actually starting up their, you know, a new company, the, chart, the, the biggest challenge that they have is actually building that network. But at the same time, with the likes of social media, and we have seen this change since the pandemic, pretty much you can get in touch with anyone, right? And if you're producing the right video content um, as well, then all of a sudden you're able to draw draw people to you. Um, are you guys like with regards to your marketing? Is it something whereby you're looking to forge partnerships with other companies right now? Are you focused? Yeah, on that sure. Space? Yeah. I mean, I, I I think we're we're um, you know we're we're open to anything. Um, you know, so some of my previous businesses were quite focused on like the digital marketing end of. Uh, of I, I guess of the internet so you know I, I personally have quite a lot of experience there um i think you know different different products you need to market in different ways you know so if it's a consumer-based business you you might do it one way and if it's you know a b2b business you do it another way and i i think certainly kind of partnerships you know in, including think just doing things like this podcast for example um you know that's you know particularly with b2b this is absolutely something that you need to do and is uh you know, high, high on our agenda, basically. The podcasts are crazy, right? I mean, like yeah. when you think about, the, you know, the amount of reach that you get from the podcast. And again, you know, as we film it, it's about these reels now. You share these seven second, 30 second clips. You're getting like hundreds of thousands of views. 
Uh, all yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, it's it's extremely powerful, and um, you know, particularly if you've if you've got something interesting to say, and uh, you know, people want to hear it. I, you know, I think that certainly helps. So, um, yeah, no, it's it's an amazing medium. You know, I, this is actually listening to podcasts is where I spend, uh, you know, most of my time trying to keep up to date with, uh, you know, with uh, well, just the industry in general, and it's how I keep my finger on the pulse. So. Um, I uh, I love it. Yeah, I, I'm I'm not actually watching TV anymore. Genuinely, I'd rather <laughs> sit there and, and listen listen to podcasts. But um, enough about that. I've got to ask you about Bitcoin. Um, obviously, you got into you know it was something that you learned about very early on. Um, something that you obviously have a very key interest in. Um, what, what are your thoughts on, on, on Bitcoin? And and before actually before you answer that, I want to say that you know we're seeing like two really opposite ends of the spectrums. We're seeing um, you know, people like Peter Thiel, who are obviously like very bullish on Bitcoin. You know, we've got this whole following um, on social media where Bitcoin is going to a million dollars. And then we've got these uh, financiers, established financiers, people like Warren Buffett um, and Charlie Munger, who were just warning us that, um, and I think even Peter Schiff, I can throw into that category, that Bitcoin is not a store of value. There's nothing behind it. And actually it's going to zero. Yeah. Where, where are you on this? Yeah, I mean, I, I would definitely, I would definitely label myself as a, a, a Bitcoin bull. Uh, I wouldn't go as far as saying I'm a Bitcoin maxi, but um, you know, I, 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 I do really think it has solidified its position as a store of value. Um, I don't really see that changing. Uh, I don't really see, I can't really see anyone else kind of competing for that title. You know, not, not in the near future anyway. Um, it's, uh, you know, but, uh, having said that, I think there's a lot of other interesting kind of technologies out there, you know, which is why I say I'm not a maxi. I, um, you know, I think smart contracts, you know, it, it undoubtedly have, have kind of, uh, have, um, had a massive impact on the crypto industry, you know, through DeFi and NFTs and, um, and, you know, all the other kind of, uh, smart stuff that you can kind of do with them. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, I, 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 on that same thread, you know, I'm, I'm a lot less bullish on Ethereum than I am on, on Bitcoin. Why? Um, why? Yeah, for sure. I, I, I just, I, I don't see the, you know, if, the, if and when the merge actually happens and they, they, they move to a proof of stake model, I don't necessarily see the, uh, the, the gas fees or the, you know, the network fees per transaction coming down. And, um, you know, I, I personally just don't see much value in a smart contract blockchain that is that is actually too expensive to, you know, perform most of the logic that is, uh, you know, that is designed or built to do, you know, so I, I just, I, I really see if they don't solve that, I, I think the other layer one smart contract blockchains will just slowly, you know, kind of eat more and more market share and, uh, and erode, you know, the last thing that kind of Ethereum has going for it, which is its, you know, uh, dominance on the network effect. Um, you know, so I, I think if they if they don't solve that sometime soon, uh, you know, you're going to start slowly start to see the use case uh, for Ethereum fade away. Um, you know, there, there are some counter arguments to that, particularly around, you know, is there institutional money waiting on the sidelines as soon as it goes to proof of stake? Because you know, because of the the change in uh, kind of you know ESG model, um, so you know um, you know maybe there's a lot of institutional money kind of waiting to pile into crypto, but can't because uh, 
you know, uh, the, the, the environmental, sorry? The regulations aren't there as well, right? True, I, I, I think that actually once we see, you know, and again, I was discussing this earlier, we've seen a lot of governments that they, they've actually taken the view that they have to adopt uh, crypto, they have to acknowledge that it is it is the future, and they are actually writing the regulations, and they're going to put them into play over the next couple, well, actually, I shouldn't say the next couple of years, but they're doing it as fast as they can. Um and they are starting to acknowledge that there is value in it. And at that point, I would think that actually something like Ethereum all of a sudden becomes a much more attractive proposition. Yeah, I guess so. Um, you know, for institutional investors we're talking about now. Yeah, yeah, for institutional Yeah, I, I, yeah, I agree. But, you know, by, you know, when all of this regulation comes into place, you know, I think what institutional investors are looking for, you know, they, they're looking for digital assets that have a large enough market cap um, to kind of support the kind of inflows that, you know, you know, a, a lot of institutional investors have a, um, a minimum threshold. So they, they can't invest in, in uh, any kind of asset class that, you know, where the market cap is too small, for example. So I think that that kind of rules out, you know, a lot of the altcoins or, or, maybe um, competing layer one kind of smart, smart contracts blockchains. Uh, you know, so that, that leaves Ethereum and Bitcoin. And um, yeah, uh, once, once they've solved the, the, uh, the proof of work model and changed to proof of stake, you know, you, you have the ESG benefits that come along with that. And, you know, Bitcoin doesn't have that. So, you know, it, it is, is that gonna propel money into it? Quite, quite possibly, but, you know, we have to wait and see really. Is Bitcoin going to a million dollars? No, I'm joking. That, 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 that's, that's not a fair question. I, <laughs> I, I, I think I think to be I think to be honest, I mean, I'm actually probably even more bullish on Bitcoin than than uh, than most. Um, I think that actually I'm speaking to some really cool companies, particularly in Africa, and they're just creating these new use cases for Bitcoin. And I think actually, in time, it probably goes beyond just being a store of value. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, there's there's also some really interesting stuff happening with Bitcoin. Um, I don't know how much you know about the Lightning Network, um, but, you know, it's a, a layer two, basically, which uh, enables kind of um, uh, fast payments and kind of uh, low mining fees on the on the Bitcoin network, essentially. So, you know, it, it makes Bitcoin suitable for making micropayments and things like that. That's very, very interesting. Um, you know, the only thing that I have going against that is I feel, you know, because of Bitcoin's strong kind of store of value or, or being considered as a strong store of value, I, I think it means that people are, are less interested in spending it and they, they, do, they just want to hold it. So it's, it's not the greatest kind of uh, payment currency for the time being. But, you know, as these things evolve, it becomes more interesting. Um, and then, you know, there are people, you know, there are groups working on, on, on building smart contract capabilities into, into Bitcoin. So, you know, again, that, that could potentially be become a game changer for it in, you know, over the long term. And what does all this mean for the future of Orbital? Very, yeah, interesting question. That's, that's one I've not necessarily been asked for. You know, I think, you know, for us, we, we just try to stay, uh, keep our finger on the pulse of, of you know, what's going on. Um, you know, the crypto industry moves so, so quickly. It's, it's, you know, it's quite difficult to look too far down the road to say, you know, 
exactly what you're going to be doing and what you're going to be offering. Um, you know, but but our view is that you know the the next kind of um, uh, you know generation of business is you know Web three, for example, and um, you know we want to be there at the the, the banking and the infrastructure layer to to be able to support businesses who want to build on top of that or build into it. Um, you know, so I think really for us, you know, we're, we're going to be following the trends and, um, you know, and driven basically by by what the market wants. Um, but, you know, our 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 kind of mission is to make uh, handling cryptocurrencies um, and traditional fiat currencies effortless for for corporate finance teams. So, you know, however, we can best serve that goal, basically. And any thoughts on the future of like Web3, how, how it's compared with, within the whole fintech sector? I've got to say, actually, before you answer that, see, I feel that, you know, we're seeing this like, like this every day, like more and more fintech companies are coming to market. It feels like it's becoming saturated. Is the fintech world, is it becoming saturated or is it a case that actually, you know, Web 3.0 is going to permit the space for, for there to be such a great market that all of these companies do actually have a place? Or are we going to see something similar to what we saw in the 2000 tech bubble crisis where, you know, a load of tech companies fell off and the ones that survived are just stronger than ever? Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, uh, you know, I... It depends what you're looking at. So fintech, for example, yes, definitely becoming more competitive. Is it crowded yet? No, I, I, I don't think so. I think, you know, there's constantly new businesses building really innovative solutions. And, you know, just like I pointed out, you know, we believe that, the, the you know, the corporate end of that is, is completely ignored to date. And, uh, you know, sure, there's a few players out there, but, um, you know, it's it's definitely not been disrupted in the same way that, that SME and, and retail has been. So, you know, plenty of room for more competition there, you know, but then if you're focusing more on the, on the web three side, um, you know, I think that depends on what your, what you, you consider web three to be, or what, you know, what your, your definition is, you know, my, my view is that kind of web three represents uh, kind of, uh, you know, decentralization and, um, and kind of, you know, the metaverse, uh, you know, NFTs and, uh, you know, all of these disruptive technologies. So I, I see Web3 as kind of being, you know, crypto, crypto native decentralization. And I, I, yes, are there a lot of projects in that space who might not be around in a few years time? I think likely yes. Um, you know, I liken what's going on right now a little bit to the ICO boom of, of 2017. Um, so I think there's, there's a lot of projects that might not necessarily be around and a lot of hype. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I definitely believe kind of, uh, you know, that there are some great, great companies and great projects out there that are doing, uh, you know, really interesting things that will be around and will remain relevant. Uh, so, uh, you know, on, on the balance of it, I'm, I'm, I'm very positive about the outlook of, uh, of Web3 in the industry. And, and, and do you see any problems with the fact that, like, you know, um, ha having uh, decentralized finance to such an extent um, with regards to, like, regulations? I, I guess, actually, for you guys, it's probably not that big, big, big of a challenge, given the fact that you're working with large market counterparties. But I mean, yeah, I mean, so for us, we, we, we don't position ourselves on the, like, the DeFi end of the spectrum at all. So whilst we, you know, we're... 
you know, 50% fintech, 50% crypto firm, you know, the 50% of us who, who is focused on, on crypto and digital assets is, you know, we're much more akin to the CFI side. Uh, so the centralized finance, you know, so we, we, we offer custody services uh, ourselves to our customers. Um, you know, we're, we're very pro-regulation. Uh, we're very strong on AML and KYC. Um, you know, so we'll, we'll support whatever regulation comes out there, you know, from FATF, uh, so travel rule, uh, you know, we're, we're currently implementing that. So we, we steer away from the, the, the decentralized side, you know, where it's kind of, uh, you know, um, anonymous kind of hold your own keys. That's, that's not really, yeah. uh, that's not really where we sit and where we play. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's definitely a market for that. See, I see that side of decentralization being the problem for like retail customers. I think actually at that point, you know, like centralized networks probably work much better. Um, I totally agree. I mean, you know, I, uh, you know, my, my, my family are often asking, you know, uh, should I buy Bitcoin? How do I do it? Blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I, I tell them to go to a major reputable exchange because, uh, you know, it's just recently my, my dad, so, he, you know, he, he's, he's bought some and, you know, recently, you know, he's like, oh, do I need a Trezor or a Ledger? And I'm like, no, definitely not. <laughs> you know, you'll, you'll, uh, you'll lose the keys or you'll, you'll lose it or whatever it might be. And, you know, the issue is like, you know, that, then those coins are lost forever and uh, no one can recover them. And uh, I think, you know, the majority of the mass market who don't actually understand either way, want those safety nets, need those safety nets. Yeah. And I think, you know, uh, the, the kind of very decentralized side of it is, you know, should really only be for those who specifically want to participate in that and, and, and want want to access it in that way. Yeah, I, th I think one, one thing that's interesting, what you guys are doing, and one thing that you hit on, is is the con you know the concept and the application of like custodians. And I think yeah. that until we see actual custodians um, in the retail space, I don't think that um, there's any room to say, hey, let's just go. Web 3.0, decentralize everything because, you know, people will just, they'll, they'll lose everything. They'll lose, you know, you'll yeah. see a rapid increase in scams. You'll see a rapid increase in like said, anonymity. Um, and, and like you said, you know, people will just lose their keys. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, no, it'll be a disaster. So, uh, I mean, you know, you, you could argue there are a lot of, um, uh, you know, custodial solutions, um, you know, they tend to be paired with, with exchanges. So, you know, obviously Coinbase is, you know, a, a leading custodian, um, you know, so anyone advertising wallet services uh, or custodial wallet services specifically, um, but, you know, you tend to see them connected to something else because, you know, there's not much money in, in custodying assets. You know, it's, it's more from the trading activity that happens alongside it. So, you know, that's that's why you don't necessarily see many many examples of it on its own. See, Coinbase is an exciting one. See, actually, their share price, you you, you think they're in serious trouble, but actually, I, th I think Coinbase is a very exciting company for the future. Um, I've got also, actually, as someone who is obviously very bullish on crypto, what's your has it changed your attitude towards investing? Like, would you only invest now in crypto, or do you still look at property equities? bonds any other asset class yeah it's uh, it's a tough one I, I you know i've, I've definitely drunk the kool-aid and um uh you know so wearing my investor hat now i i i absolutely believed in diversified portfolios um but you know it is it is very difficult to look at 
kind of other asset classes once you've once you've been involved in crypto because you just know you know they're not likely to perform as well you know over a long period of time and um you know so it's 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 a dilemma that you know i i challenge myself on quite frequently um i my, my portfolio is heavily weighted in in crypto naturally but uh yeah i do still invest in 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 other classes you know so i buy, I buy equities uh uh, quite actively. Uh, so yeah, I, I try to remain balanced, but uh, I'm not as diversified as I should be. See, it's funny, Jan and I, uh, my co-founder at Rayon, complete opposite end of the spectrum. He would go 100% crypto. And I think right now I'd go 100% equities. I think, right. I, I, I'm, I think, and again, could be wrong, that, you know, we are going to see a crash in the crypto markets. Um, but again, I think we're going to see some really strong crypto Projects yeah. and companies come out of that, and I think, from my perspective, that that's what I'm waiting for. So, with, with the equities right now, with the market the way it is, um, you know, there's some like really like pound cost averaging opportunities out there. So, yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, I mean, we're we're in the middle of an equities crash for sure. You know, I think we'll look back in history. You know, hopefully, right now is somewhere around the bottom, but you know, you never know. We could go further. And so, so orbital uh, culturally, like, like, what are you guys doing? Are you expanding in the UK? Are you going to be um, uh, moving uh, offices, well, building offices abroad at all? What, what, what's the scope for you guys in terms of that? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, we've, um, you know, we've already got uh, six or seven offices in in different countries. Uh, so we're headquartered here in London. Um, we have uh, an office in Gibraltar. Uh, another office in uh, Chennai in India and uh, another one in the Philippines. Uh, we've got two offices in Europe, one in Estonia and Lithuania. Um, and um, yeah, that's it for the time being. But yeah, we're, yeah. we're certainly planning further kind of global expansion. Uh, we're kind of just uh, we're still working out the strategy of, of how that looks. But, uh, you know, ultimately we, we intend to to become uh, licensed in, in in more strategic, uh, well, more jurisdictions, and uh, you know we're, we're just working out strategically which ones we think those should be. Well, it's exciting to see. So, Luke, thank you so much for your time today. Um, I'm excited to see where Orbital goes, and uh, yeah, hopefully we can pick up this in six months or so and see how you guys are doing. Sounds good. Yeah, and thanks very much for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. It was uh, nice to join you. Brilliant. Thanks a lot, Luke. Cool.